Diacast, the German football podcast brought to you by The Athletic. In today's episode, special guest, lawyer and agent Dr. Erkut Surgut tells us all about the legal implications of the coronavirus crisis on player contracts and the transfer market and why the Bundesliga has been more efficient, shock horror, in dealing with the fallout. Then later on, we'll dial up our hummus-loving Bond correspondent Jonathan Harding to give us an update on the league's plans of restarting in May. But before we hear from them, here's a quick reminder that The Athletic's wonderful Bundesliga content and all its football coverage is now available on a 90-day free trial. Sign up at theathletic.com forward slash All right, let me introduce our first guest today. German-born Dr. Erkut Surgut is a lawyer and player agent representing, among others, Arsenal's Mesut Özil. Welcome, Erkut. Thanks for coming on to the show. Now, as a doctor, um, is there a case of a lot of people asking you for advice in these uh, difficult times at the moment? I mean, for people who don't know if I'm a medical doctor or a doctor in law, it, it happens, especially before Corona, actually. Uh, my my daily uh, drive in a cab, especially when they see my name, uh, if, if you drive Uber, and then I have it usually that the Uber driver already tells me his whole medical history before I get out. <laughs> and I, in the end, I'm saying, look, I'm not a medical doctor. so. <laughs> and right now, we have a lot of issues where Corona um, is affecting um, football. When it comes to contract, one of the things we hear a lot about is the the cliffhanger with June. And that's how most contracts are uh, uh, terminated. They end in June in line with the regular season, in a normal season. Uh, FIFA have already said that they will allow uh, extensions, but of course they can't supersede national law and contract law in the uh, jurisdictions <coughs> that they work with. So how does that in practice now play out? And do you have some players in your agency that are directly affected by this? This is definitely uh, something which FIFA talked about. They gave, as you already mentioned, some guidelines how to deal with this situation. And uh, and for everyone is clear and everyone knows that these contracts will go over that period, which it should actually like 30th of July. It might be 30th of July, 30th of August. We don't know it yet. And and the practical side, the legal side is that uh, in this case, club and player needs to sit together and extend the contract. Because if the player is still playing for the club uh, in that period, in that time, then this, this contract needs to be extended. So it's quite a, it's an amendment of the current contract where both sides need to sit together and amend it with certain uh, maybe without any financial impact. It might be some financial impact. I don't know. So it really depends on the agreement between both sides. But basically, if I understand you correctly, I could all FIFA have said is that they will accept players extending the contract so they can still play for their old club, even though it's a new season or the season should have ended earlier, but it's still down to the player and to the club involved to actually sort this out. Is that right? Exactly, correct. I mean, as uh, FIFA can give guidelines to that, but as you already mentioned in your question before, that the national law needs to be uh, looked over here. And this is like, the if you're in England, there's the English employment law. That means you have to extend the contract here for another one or two months between the parties. That, that there's a contract in place and that this player can play for this club and give services. So in practice, do you think this will be one of the big problems or should it be more or less straightforward? I think this will be more straightforward. I, I don't think there will be a problem, a big problem about that. Because, I mean, they will. it will be in the end just extending the current contract 
it won't be negotiating uh, special terms. So I think what club and players will just sit there and say, okay, let's extend this contract for another two months or one and a half months until the season, until the real season will then finish. Okay, so what happens if I have a contract that runs for three more years and I want to move? And usually a club would sign me, of course, for the 1st of July. How can I move at the moment? Is there any transfer market at all or how... How does that work right now? Obviously, there is still a transfer market and clubs will move players and clubs will buy players, couples sell players. But I think the transfer market will change a little bit. It will be a lot of swap deals, I think, and a lot of loan agreements. Yeah. I think uh, this is something we will see a lot in this window because of the financial uncertainty for the clubs. It will be easier to do swap deals and, and easier to do loan deals, whereas loan deals are becoming more popular anyways in the last few years because of the financial fair play impact so that clubs are using uh, more the instrument of a loan and this will this will something will be seen more but still there will be transfers but we just don't know when it really happens time-wise when the window will start and end it might be a little bit shorter than as usual but it might be also go into a longer term like into september we don't know uh, but it will happen eventually. And for some clubs, it will be an advantage. And for some clubs, it will be a disadvantage. So just hypothetically, if if you're negotiating for a player who wants to move to a different club and the buying club is happy and you think that, that an agreement can probably be found with the selling club, you basically leave the date open, but have the agreement or the understanding that the move will happen once the new season starts is that is yeah that works? yeah kind of kind of because i mean the papers will be signed later on anyways i mean some players if their contracts run out they have already signed a, a contract with another club so if you're in england and your contract runs out and uh, you could be able to sign a contract in january with a club abroad for example right so some players have already signed contracts but and but the date and that contract is now not accurate as well, so it will be probably changed as well into the time when they go over. That's why FIFA uh, came in and said, "Look, this will then start when the other season is over." Yeah, so everything will just need to be adjusted for this time. I don't think actually that will be is such a huge problem like people making it out. It will be just whenever this season finishes here. The, the player will go over to the other club at that time afterwards. But FIFA wouldn't allow somebody going over while the season still runs, right? They would just... Yes, yes, yes correct. The transfer window wouldn't open officially. Is that correct? Yes, yes, okay. yes correct. Now, you already touched upon this with your um, prediction that uh, we'll see more swap deals, more loan deals. But uh, can you give us a, an idea of just how much the transfer market in general terms is now being affected? I mean, is there a real chilling factor that even at the top end, shall we say, that there's just nothing going on? Or is things are things still kind of bubbling along a lot below the surface with people thinking that eventually football will bounce back? What What is the effect right now? I mean, the effect will be seen from all of us because no one really knows that everyone can just uh, assume what can happen. No one really knows how the market will be once it opens. But I think some clubs will be very smart and use this time as also to say, look, uh, financially, we're not in a good position. Uh, if that wouldn't happen, we might have paid 80 million, but now we can just pay 30 million. But you don't really know. Is it just an excuse then? Or is it uh, or is it smart or tactically played, played well to use Corona maybe or this virus impact as also an excuse? And uh, on the other hand, some clubs will be desperate to sell players even for less money just to get some cash in. 
they might they they will then lose money. So it depends also how financially a club will stay after this time. And and I think everyone will be have an impact. Like, but some clubs won't have a much impact financially, which are very strong. So I think they will be in a huge advantage in the market. So they they will start buying for much more cheaper, and the contracts will be also less than planned. Yeah, so you can imagine like to say to a player, look, um, we can't pay you this amount of money. We can just pay you this amount of money because of the virus, right? So so we will see what will happen. But definitely there will be transfers and definitely the market will go on and there will be investments coming in. I think it will be go on to normal very, sh- very soon. And do you think we still see those big 100 million plus deals being done this summer or will the effect lower prices throughout um or we, we see more of a staggered approach that maybe to middle be, class players shall yeah. we say will get cheaper yeah. yes cheap players I become think, even yeah. cheaper but the, the value holds at the very top what do you think exactly exactly this is exactly what i want to actually to say like i think top players will remain top level like i think uh, like an mbappe or so it's just mbappe right so a club will pay the amount of money the other club is asking for because they invest in the next 10 years with this player and but there are players like below below that which don't actually have the value but which were sold for such a high values but these these will go down i think i think in the middle there will be a lot of value will get down but the top will remain the value i think so it will be more quality than quantity i think in future in the transfer market people will pay but just for the top 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 and they won't anymore pay such a crazy money for some players which actually is like which we even see and say wow wait a minute 70 60 million for that player it doesn't make really sense like it's like a 20 million deal actually or 10 million and i think that that will change towards that okay let's talk a little bit about the effect on on the players right now uh, part of your job as an agent is not just to do uh, big deals and try to maximize the uh, the uh, potential income for a player but also you have to look after their their well-being um you know their, their fitness etc how do players like Mesuduzes or like Ilka Gunnar, who works with one of your associates, how do they deal with this situation right now? Oh, so regarding Mesud, I can say um, you might know he just became father. So he has a daughter and he's just enjoying the time with his daughter at home right now. I mean, that's uh, that must be a blessing to be every day with the newborn baby. And But on the other hand, he's training like every other player from home and keep himself fit and... Uh, yeah, that's the time because for them it's also very new and never uh, had something like that. But the only difference is with Mesut, he just uh, become a baby during this time. So it's for him, it must be like amazing to see the little one all the time and uh, at home, you know, and enjoy this time as well for a father. So therefore, like uh, he's training every day, trying to, you know, keep fit so that when everything starts, the players are quick, very, very fast. And uh, trying to, you know, communicate with family, like uh, video calls usually outside world. And yeah, and having family around and enjoying the time, literally. Uh, one last question on, on the players' um, point of view. I mean, they, they usually have to make plans far in advance because they have very few days off in the year. They know that there is a Euros, for example, or there's a big uh, pre-season tour. And everything, weddings, holidays, everything is planned far in advance. Now... It must be unusual for them not knowing when the games come back, when will they stop, 
How do they deal with that sort of uncertainty around their, their, their schedule? I mean, it's probably the same problem for the club and the players right now. Both are in a difficult situation, right? And both and for both it's new and they so the best thing is like it's keeping them mentally uh, fit and help them like talk to them a lot. I think that's the best thing someone could do for his player right now is really talk a lot, keep them positive. You know, uh, I think that's very very important the mental stage of a player that it doesn't go down. You know, it doesn't go like oh I'm not interested in anything anymore. No, it must be really like keep them positive and keep them say everything will start and everything will go back to the, you know, how it was before and it will even get better. And especially with young play, you have to motivate them a lot uh, so that they keep focused. And it's not easy for anyone to be out of football for such a long time. Not just being out of football, being out of everything. So the whole life changed, literally. Okay, uh, before I let you go, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, situation at Arsenal now. I understand client confidentiality you're directly affected, so you can't tell us too much about the details, but can you perhaps give us a general overview of what happens in these negotiations? What are the rights of the, the club? What are the rights of the players? How, how are negotiations being conducted? What are sort of the ins and outs in a legal way? Yeah, I mean, I, as you already said, I can't talk about any of my players' situation directly or because of a breach of contract. As you know, like usually in England, especially you represent player and the club at the same time or because of the dual representation agreement. And uh, therefore, I can't talk especially uh, regarding a club or regarding a player about that. And uh, it's confidential. But I can give you like a general uh, view about this situation, which uh, can give you and the listeners kind of an understanding what's really going on. I mean, generally to say this is really unprecedented times for everyone, right? And you have to think um, there are three different element to this like there's this practical element yeah because no one really knows how long the situation will last and what the effect really will be and uh, the premier league and broadcasters clubs and sponsors are talking about different options for the rest of the season but we don't know what will really happen right and in my view the best the best uh, is that when there are negotiations about different options there's a transparency it's very important and full details given about what the circumstances are and what the risk and benefits to each party. Yeah, this is like the practical view of the side. But on a regulatory uh, regulatory side, FIFA already gave some guidelines for the clubs to work with. Yeah, so player contracts and transfers are subject generally to regulations issued by FIFA. Right, all clubs and players have to abide, and that's why FIFA gave this uh, uh, in the first week of April these guidelines and and said certain things needs to be taken care of when club and the player go into talks. They should talk with each other. And um, they are uh, actually like clubs and employees are strongly encouraged actually to work together to find an appropriate collective agreement. Yeah, And um, this is what they're giving them and telling them, but they have to take in uh, or think about uh, if there are really economic impacts. Yeah. So are clubs really having these problems going into insolvency or bankruptcy, for example? These are one of the conditions, for example. There are other conditions, but this is one of the conditions FIFA is saying. Yeah, And you can't just leave the uh, law of the country away where the players are and just look at FIFA law. Obviously, the law in the country still applies. The employment law, for example, in, in England, right? And... Uh, and then you have this legal side. What can really happen? You have this contract between a player and the club, right? 
And and when it comes to personal player contracts, employment contracts must be respected in football just as much as outside of football, right? People sometimes forget that. So the law applies to football playing contracts in the same way, actually, as any other employment contract. And further, they're also subject to regulations set out by FIFA, as I already said. So a club has a, uh, has a responsibility to its players. It must act in accordance with the implied term and trust and confidence and so on, right? But um, if a club is asking players to take a material pay reduction, uh, we're talking about a cut in the news, or a deferment, right? So that's what you usually hear. Then the club is likely to need to really, in my opinion, to be transparent about its financial circumstances in order that players can make a really informed choice about the, about the extent to which they should be expected to assist the club, actually, through the coming months. So it is it is not enough for a club to present proposal to one member on the first team squad and then ask them to go to the rest of the squad and get their consent to do it. Yeah, that is not how individual contract negotiations should take place. And it may be also to take a case, for example, that a club will ask a first team manager or a coach to negotiate with players, as this may influence some. Right, and particularly. Um, uh, Rafael, you can imagine younger players are those on the fringe of the squad who are already fearful, for example, of the futures and the possibility that there may be personal yeah, re repercussions for them if they do not agree, for example. In those kind of circumstances, it could be questionable, in my opinion, whether any consent from the players would be legally binding anyway. As some players are not in a position to give true consent if they're under pressure to do so, right? So... Players may be interested, like Raphael, just to give you an understanding, they might be interested in a financial presentation, right? Explaining, for example, I just can give you some points, the financial situation of the club, yeah, in the in the club finds itself, exactly. How the percentage reduction of players' remuneration was arrived at, right? And what effects such savings would have in stabilizing the club? Yeah, you might hear 20%, 30%. It's not enough to say a percentage. It's more the club really needs to explain why this percentage, right? And then what other me uh, measures have the club considered and implemented, for example, right? Will the club reduce or increase its transfer budget for the relevant transfer window in the coming season? If so, for example, by how much? Will the club be capping the salaries of any new signings in order to ensure that such cost savings are not spent on the salaries of new players? Or, for example, have the club's owners invested any future capital or being asked to do so? Or will the also people will talk a lot about that? You might uh, read about that the directors and senior management of the clubs also be taking pay reductions during the period. If so, in what way? And will the club be seizing all dividend payments to shareholders? And if so, for what period? So these are all questions when you talk. So the players need to know about that, right? And once the players really have the level of that insight, they will be in a position then, Raphael, to be able to make an informed choice about whether it is right thing for them to agree to propose pay cuts, right? But without these details, the clubs are effectively asking players to take in on a trust that they're acting in the correct way without any visibility as to whether this that is in this case, in the case. Maybe tell us also yeah. about the, the PFA role in this. And the players are also entitled to know what will happen if they don't know agree in this kind of circumstances. You might think there's an ongoing negotiation. So a player's right is also to know what will happen if I say no, right? And 
Is this a genuinely choice for the players as to whether they agree or will there be sanctions for them if they don't agree? Will there be sanctions or not? Do they have to agree? Will the club discipline them or terminate even their contracts if they don't know if they do not agree? And if the club cannot get agreement via consent, will it still try and implement the changes, right? So it's a very interesting uh, situation. So what will happen? So can they just, for example, terminate the existing contracts, right? And if they do that, are we going into collective consultation obligations, which is the next stage and which has his own requirements? So it's, a, it's not such an easy situation as it looks like. It's really like, where are we? What are both sides doing? Both sides obviously wants the best, but both sides have to have their own ways and strategies to get the best out. And just going to the club side, Rafael, the club, the club will likely be aware to that to seek to impose, you know, the unilateral changes is very high risk. And they will, unless it's the only way to avoid insolvency, not be willing to take that risk. That's that's in my opinion, a club's view must be. We therefore like I anticipate that they will continue to to seek to get the changes through the obtaining players' consent, which we see in some clubs, and then applying a large degree of emotional pressure on players and using the media to increase that pressure on players. You understand what I'm saying? So they will ritually, that is one part a club strategy could look like. Let's put pressure on the players, emotional, and tell them, like, come on, everyone has to play his part here. We, you know, like, like, we, like we heard from politicians, right? And then all the players will make pressure. Then other players within the club can make pressure. Yeah. And then also what happens, like clubs will, they will also seek to identify key individuals or influences within the club. That could be like a club captain. That could be a nominated player. It could be the manager, a team coach, you know. And um, that can sound out other players and seek to persuade them to agree to the terms. I think the clubs will also do this to allow them to try and say that there are arm lengths from such discussions and it does not create any paper trail, which suggests that they were exerting undue influence on players, you know? So although managers and first team coaches are, and the other people in the clubs, you know, they use them for these purposes. They are actually club representative. So when, when they use someone like that to impose emotional or impact onto this negotiation, they actually are club people. So that means it's not anymore on the player side. You know what I mean? If they identify someone and use them. So and um, so that's why the club will not go on record to keep them a little bit away. So then you can't trail anything. Yeah. So they will be very guarded about answering any questions from players about what happened if they don't agree, for example, right? So they, they're actually trying to get a consent right now through this kind of tactical situation. And the players should ask the questions I asked before. And in the end, look, for both sides, it's a new situation. And both sides need to work together in a transparent way, in a very open way. And I think they can all find an agreement. Yeah, it's 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 not a big problem, not a big deal, as long as both parties uh, are honest with each other and transparent and show the finances and the players understand. Important is that the player really needs to understand what's going on and what are they committing to. For example, especially in football, there's a huge amount of pressure on an individual player to agree changes, right? If the manager, for example, is pressuring them to do so, particularly if the majority of teammates have already confirmed that they will agree to them, right? Imagine like you're in a team 10, 10 players saying no and 20 saying yes, right? And you need the other 10. And then and then you put someone into the game to change the other 10. 
and six of them are, let's say, 18 years old. And if a manager calls you and you want to play, what will you do, Rafael? You I would might call be you. More like, yeah, I would call you. <laughs> you, will be, you will be, yes, but you will be more likely to say yes, coach, or yes, sporting director, or yes, owner of the club, or whatever. You might be, you know, it's it's not easy to say no. It's a very kind of a dangerous area. You know, the clubs need to be very careful what they do. It's kind of a gray area, in my opinion, and it's going to be more illegal if they impose changes to their contracts by using certain people and making emotional pressure to agree on that this is dangerous and if that's happened then then if that's if that's come out and if, if that's proven then the club has a real problem i think it needs to be very very careful it need to that's why it needs to be very transparent very open from the beginning and uh, that's that's very important and that's why i feel like players can be sidelined from first team actions if they do not fall in line with this for example right and sometimes it's very hard to prove the underlying reason for such treatment. Yeah? And I think each each player have their own contract. And unless they are bound by a collective bargaining agreement, right, or an arrangement, then uh, whatever they agree, any ch any changes is a personal matter for them, Raphael, right? They have to decide by themselves. So no other player can decide for any other player, right? The players, it's a personal contract. I say this again, it's very important here. It's a personal contract between a player and a club. So... Any change for this contract needs to be done by the player has to agree for it, yeah? Unless there is, I said, a collective bargaining arrangement, but which, which is not there. They, they, yeah, they, there's there no, is no, there is no yeah. such a thing. There is no such a thing. We, you, you just mentioned PFA, but PFA doesn't take that role here in collecting bargaining arrangement for all the players in the Premier League and saying, that's it, 20% or 30 for everyone, right? We don't have that. And, and we don't have that in the clubs either. So the so the players, let's say on one side and the clubs, when you see these talks, players and clubs talking right now, probably in every club in the Premier League, we have it. This is not a collective bargaining arrangement. The players are not, they don't have to accept what the majority in this group accepts. Yeah, it's very important to understand. Yeah, so it's, it, every player has to agree for a change of his own personal contract. Yeah. I have two more questions, Erkut. One is... If right now, as you say, it's unprecedented and there are no provisions in the contracts already to cover such situation, will the new contracts have such a clause saying if football stops for whatever reason, if we cannot play for a month or so, the salary automatically goes down by X percent. Is that going to happen in the future, you think? I think uh, we have already something like that in uh, Scotland. Yeah, I mean, Scottish law has that. And uh, that they have in their, um, that for these kind of situations, which falls into it, that they can stop and, and the clubs don't have to pay the players. And, but still, uh, the clubs can decide by themselves if they still want to pay. Yeah. So the federation can say, guys, we are taking this in consideration now. And this is that kind of a case. And no club in Scotland has to pay any player. They, they, they could do that. But uh, some clubs might still say, who are good in financial situation, we, we don't apply for that. It's like a furlough system, you apply or not, right? Something like that. But, but I think the clubs will try to implant such a clause in future. They will. They, I think everyone will learn from this. And uh, they will definitely have something in consideration. Like, for example, some clubs uh, or players have, might already have contracts in the Premier League saying, if a certain amount of fans are not coming to the stadium then then uh, then the salary drops right if the average of the fans in this club is under 30,000 
uh, the players are earning le 20% less. It's already some an impact, right? Uh, could be also with other things. If you don't uh, qualify for Champions League, you're earning 25% less. And one thing could be if the if if the clubs can't play football for a period of at least four weeks or three weeks, two weeks because of a virus or something like similar, so so the salary will drop automatically to fifty percent, for example. With 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 ongoing negotiations, is that if it changes again? And and lastly, um, we've seen clubs in Germany find agreements with their players relatively quickly, relatively smoothly. Um, we've seen a lot of announcements. Some of them have deferred. Some of them have cut their wages. We don't know always the exact details, but there is, I think, throughout the uh, Bundesliga, uh, to my knowledge, an agreement in place at every different club. Why was that process much more smoothly, do you think? Is it because of the role, the strong role of the PFA here, who have uh, put themselves at the heart of this, 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 uh, this process? Um, is it because the ownership structure is very different and in Germany maybe the, the players have more quickly understood that if they make an adjustment, it saves then money that can be spent on the non-playing staff? Why do you think we've seen these fundamentally different outcomes so far? That's a very good question, Raphael. And uh, as someone who represents players in England and Germany and other countries, I've seen uh, that how fast, how quick and how efficient German clubs worked. Yeah. So this showed also in this time, like it's kind of uh, shows me also regarding the virus, how Germany deals with it and how England deals with it, right? I even made the comparison, like in Germany, it's like the way they deal with it, the way they have everything, it's unbelievable, like a different level. And in the same with this thing, when, when this time started and when club realized the games will be stopped, I got right away from German clubs a letter very transparent, very open, and asking, which is like, there. I mean, this letter is going to the players and then forwarded to us, uh, not directly to me, not just to make it clear. And and the players should talk regarding this with their parents, advisors, representatives, lawyers, whatever. And it's directly a deferral. Asking, guys, we are in an uncertain time. We will not play at least for three weeks or four, maybe longer. But to keep going on our, you know, our club and our expenses, we have employed people and everything. It's nicely explained. We would like to ask you kindly for a deferral of some clubs made 30%, some made 20 some made 15 It depends on the financial situation of the club, right? It makes sense. And we will pay this money back in the next season, whenever, like around the next season spread it. Which, which makes totally sense for me, Rafael. It's a direct reaction of a situation, right? That everyone can understand and everyone would agree to it. And I missed that in England. In England, other than now Southampton, right? And I think West Ham as well. They, they did this deferral, which makes sense. And then you sit after three months with your players and your stuff again on a table and say, guys, thanks for the deferral time. It was helpful at that time. But now... We know our financial impact of the virus because let's say the games are played, but without fans, our match day revenue fall down, our TV money, we got all of it, but our commercial deals get down, whatever. So they will, they have to write down all the financial problems. And then obviously the player will sit on a table and say, okay, fair enough. Then let's divide this um, 
loss into everyone, right? Ownership, management, employees, players, whatever. And then the players will take their cut. Let's say that's 20%. Yeah. And then, and then it's done. So this is, this is also my personal understanding. You can't, you, how can you agree? Like, which is also for me, like very interesting to see for a 12 month period. This is unseen, like, and unheard. Like, if you if you agree for a 12-month period, the club must already then know the financial impact in every detail. But if you ask for a three to four months for now to get over this time, e even a cut. If Look, I'm not saying I'm against a cut. It really depends from club to club. So if a club reads a cut, cut not right now for this three months where corona is and affecting the clubs for this three to four months period of a season, then you agree for that. But to agree for a one year and say like what well, the Premier League said suggested 30 percent, then it, then it's like, wait a minute, like what is the financial impact here? Yeah, Are you're you guys, in the dark. I, you're you're yes, still in the dark. Yes. Yeah, and it, and it's an uncertain situation, and that's why I said I said it already before. Like in a, it was in a webinar I talk, and I said step one makes sense for me deferral. Step two, it cut, and everyone should help. Yeah, simple than that. So everyone, simple than that. Everyone should put their hands in their pockets. Players, everyone, and but they made it out as yeah, shameless agent. He he doesn't want cuts. Now, that's not true, right? I said deferral and then cut, but. There are exceptions. Some clubs might need a cut right now, and they and they have to discuss it openly. And everyone wants the same here. And I know it. The clubs are really in a difficult situation, and they need help. But by asking for help, the best way is to be honest, transparent, and talk with your players, and then they will get the most out of it. Instead of doing it another way, trying to be outsmarting them or trick them, or you understand, pressure them or emotional on emotions on them they use the media and everything else that won't help anyone okay thank you very much it was super interesting i could thank you for having me i hope it was uh, at least something to explain that was important for me to give the view of how this really looks like what's the right of a player what's the right of a club and how should they go over this time in a very transparent and fair way you know it's for fair for both sides it was very enlightening Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up with overpriced razors, started Harry's to fix shaving. Their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five blade brands. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover. Now, I must admit I last had a wet shave about 25 years ago, but... It looked so nice, the package, when it arrived. I thought I'd give it a go. And I must say, my wife is absolutely delighted. So if you want to try out the effect on your wife or significant other, get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash stylecast right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Stahlkast. All right. Now, the Bundesliga, as we heard, have returned to full training. There are lots of discussions happening about how and when football could restart. To get the latest from our man on the ground, our man in Bonn, Jonathan Harding joins us now. Jonathan, what's going on? Well, what isn't going on, to be honest, Raph? Um, it sounds like quite a lot of plans are in place. Um, I think the league's obviously working to try and get the season done by the end of June. 
with the anticipation that they could return to action in a Ghost Games format by early mid-May, I think. Um, obviously, there's a lot of pressure because of the television money that's in play, but it's caused such a varied amount of you know response uh, from from different parts of of the German football culture and, and fan area and organisational area and players, you know, to be expected, I guess, because of the you know the interest in the game, but. I think one of the biggest problems is, you know, how how to deal with where to go forward with with the situation now, you know, because some teams have you, as you said, you know, returned to training, um, but th that's made a little bit more complicated in Germany by the fact that Germany is a federal country. So Berlin may set the tone and give recommendations about what needs to be done, but ultimately local state health authorities are going to make the final call. So that means some teams have actually returned to training sooner than others, which of course, in a competitive sport uh, professional level, is going to ruffle some feathers. Um, of course, all trainings are, are happening under strict conditions, you know, groups of two, uh, socially distanced, no tackling, showers at home, all of that stuff. Um, but it does throw some interesting... It sounds like my five-a-side <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, right. I think a lot of people could probably relate. Um, I think the problem is that it throws up a lot of questions about how to move forward and how, you know, what's what's fair and what's right, because ultimately for that to have happened, uh, football teams have had to get exemptions from their local state uh, health authorities in order to go back to some level of training. Um, Christian Zeifer uh, has said that, you know, he wants to get the season done or the plan is to get the season done by the end of June, as I say. Um, yeah. That means having something like 240 people in stadiums, skeleton crew. He has stressed that, you know, testing players won't result in a doctor or a nurse that is relevant for the system not being tested. But I think that does throw up enormous question marks because, you know, that's one thing to say that. But if football is going to return, even with 240 people in terms of a skeleton crew in a stadium, that's still an awful lot of people that need to be tested and tested regularly. Um, and I think football has to have a hard look in the mirror about how it appears in that situation. I mean, Joshua Xerxes said this week uh, to Dutch Dutch football media outlet uh, VTBL, um, you know, we're tested three times a week at the moment. And if and if you if a Bayern Munich player is saying that they're being tested three times a week, uh, you have to ask some questions. If there are people in Germany who are not being tested, why should footballers suddenly find themselves being tested more often. Obviously, I don't lay any blame at the, at the feet of the footballers, but I think if there's, a, if there's a structural decision to return to some level of normalcy in an attempt to try and get the season done, then justification for that has to be a bit better than, oh, well, you know, we'll try and make sure that you know, nurses and doctors aren't going to not be tested. But correct me if I'm wrong, I think testing isn't such a big deal in Germany because of the vast capacity that they have. I think some of the numbers I saw is that even with thousands of thousands of tests for Bundesliga players over the next couple of months, the real impact um, is, is negligible because of Germany's vast testing capacity. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, I think that I think the optics of it are perhaps more problematic than maybe the reality. Uh, you know, if a footballer is going to be tested three times a week, that's not necessarily going to look great, uh, even if Germany has got uh, such a broad situation where they're able to test so many people. Um, I think the greater issue, maybe you know, in a football context, I think health is always first and foremost. But in a football context, of the greater or perhaps more intriguing issue is the is the concept of finishing the season by the end of June and having all games completed behind closed doors in an attempt to secure um, the television money, because that has you know implications of its own 
Um, and there is really a suggestion there that, you know, what is football thinking? It's, it's not uh, a necessary employment uh, situation. You know, these are not um, people working in a profession that is, is really needed right now. I'm sure that some people would say that it is because football is being missed so much. But if we really are having a serious conversation about it. Um, so it does have, there are question marks there. Obviously, you also have to take into consideration all the people who are employed by football clubs. So in and around those just playing on the pitch, of course. But it's going to be part of a long-standing debate that has been in action long before the coronavirus pandemic was even here. And that's partly because of the disagreement between German fans and, and German structures, really, in football. And the German fan group coalition, Fans in Deutschland, have already said that they don't believe that ghost games are a solution. And I think that they speak for a lot of fans when they say that because they are really asking for a fundamental change to football structures so that there's a move away from such dependency on television money and there's a move towards being more sustainable. And I thought what was most telling about that statement that they made um, is that they think that the decision to return to action in the form of ghost games would make a mockery of the rest of society. I think it's really uh, indicative of, of how active fan scenes are in Germany that they would make such a statement, but I think it's also definitely food for thought. It is. I just wonder if, if football is not supposed to be reliant on TV money, but they also are expected to keep ticket prices down, not to over-commercialize, not to have sponsorship and not to have investors. Where's the money supposed to come from exactly? Yeah, and I think that's the catch-22, isn't it, really? Um, you know, German football is trying to be two things at the same time. It's trying to be authentic and, and retain a connection to the community and the communities that it serves. Uh, and the fan groups that are in those communities. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's got a, a business model that it wants to continue to develop and it, it wants to remain an important football league in, in the context of European football. That makes it very difficult to, to balance the two. I think you know, we've said it before, you, you mentioned it on a previous podcast that we did, you thought Christian Seifert has done pretty well in this situation and certainly has, has acted as, as you would hope uh, in terms of as, as a leader. But I think he's got probably one of the most important decisions to make for the future of German football. And I think while ghost games are probably going to become a reality, I think his handling of that situation and, and how, as I say, how it appears, what he says um, and how things are moved forward will have a really massive impact on the way that, that German football looks going forward. I, it's not an easy situation. It's certainly not one that I envy him uh, of, but uh, I think they've got to get it right if things like 50 plus one, and the connection with the community and the fan groups uh, are still to be in place in the future. Now, we've seen some reports that uh, the latest or the last uh, tranche, um, is, that, is that an English word? Can't say that I've heard of it. Um, okay, well, it's, it's, it's French, German. Okay, I'll, I'll put it differently. We've seen some reports that the latest and last um, partial payment for the, this year's TV money could be paid out a little bit earlier, perhaps with a discount which give the um, the clubs a bit more breathing space at the moment. Um, these are so far unconfirmed reports, but negotiations are going on between the Bundesliga and the national rights holders. My question is, uh, Jonathan, do you get the sense that with Germany easing the lockdown and uh, certain shops reopening this week and talk of schools coming back, that normalcy or, shall we say, a more a less unnormal normal is about to happen and that football will play some part in returning maybe mid-May? I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a strong possibility, yes. Um, 
I think football has such an important part and a role to play in in the recovery, um, the, the, perhaps just the mental recovery as well for for a country, for all countries, but particularly one like Germany where the connection with football is so strong. Um, I think if that deal could could happen, as you say, unconfirmed reports, and I think the DFL came out and denied reports and said that we haven't reached an agreement yet, but negotiations are still ongoing, as you said. But I think if that were to happen, that would certainly be an easing of the financial situation. I I think with Germany and with every country that is trying or in a situation where they can slowly ease uh, lockdown measures, I think it's really important that the situation is taken step by step and, and gone slowly. And I think that's where the real test stands for, for football in Germany because it's not something that can be rushed back into. Just like every other aspect of society, we have to slowly take things... Um, yeah, we have to take things slowly. We have to take a take a return to some level of normalcy in a step-by-step process. And I think the hardest part for everyone is going to be easing back into something that seems familiar, uh, particularly football. Um, I do think it will return. I don't know whether it will be by mid-May. Um, I think from what I understand, there's another meeting later on this week uh, with the DFL discussing how they want to move forward. I think it's one of those situations that they've got to take on a day-by-day basis and see how things progress. But... Um, the most important thing is not to to act uh, too soon. Absolutely. I think this is a great way to end this pod. Thank you, Jonathan, for coming on. I hope to speak to you soon again. (music) 